You're listening to episode 42 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is a part one of a two-part episode on emotional development. I have Julia Pappas joining me, a psychologist and a parent coach, and today's episode is really about introducing you to emotional development. So we talk about things such as what is an emotion anyway, and how does emotional development occur, and what are some of the contributing factors that might actually influence it? And of course, we talk about how emotions are regulated. So without further ado, let's get this chat started. Julia Pappas is a psychologist and a parent coach. She has over 15 years of experience working with parents and their children and has particular expertise in child development, behavioural regulation and learning needs. Julia believes in the power of parents to change the world by being the best resource, inspiration and support they can be to their children. She empowers parents to own their mission, to discover limiting beliefs and parenting blocks. And she helps develop essential skills so that parents can have the most fulfilling years of their life while raising children. Julia, welcome to Chat About Children. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Can I just say that last part of your intro there, having the most fulfilling years of their life while raising children, that is probably a beautiful way to summarize what a lot of parents have as their parenting objective. Would you agree? Absolutely. Even if they may not be articulating it that way, I believe so. Yes, absolutely. So I'm very excited to have you joining us today. And we're actually going to record a two-part episode, which is fantastic. And it's on a topic that is very much needed generally, but particularly now at this point in time, at this point in history. And that is the topic of emotional development. So I'm looking forward to recording two parts. Today is going to be an introduction to emotional development, and then we'll tell you more about the second part as we go through our episode. So before we launch in, Julia, can you tell us a little bit just about you, about you and what you were doing maybe before the psychology and parent coaching gig all started up for you? Oh my goodness. Well, I feel like that's what I've been doing all my life. Psychology has been my background from the beginning. So it always has been psychology, adult or child, kind of the whole developmental spectrum. And really, I later on, I got more curious about children, because, you know, I had my own and really wanted to understand more. So I ended up working more with children and going that direction. And in working with children and in the institutions that children tend to find themselves like daycare centers and schools, I realized that really the best way to access the child and support the child who does need more is through parents. And that's how I shifted into also working with parents, not just directly with children, because that access is limited. We only have access to somebody else's child for only a period of the day, right? Even if it's daily occurrence. And then the parents really are there or other caretakers are really there on a daily basis. And so giving them the skills and the tools and demystifying the whole process of development and what does it really mean to raise somebody kind of became my passion. Thank you for asking. 
<laughs> You're welcome. And look, it, it is such a rewarding role, I think, any role that works with children and with families. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think it is a very rewarding, rewarding role. So thank you for all the work that you have done with families over the years and the work that you'll continue to do. So, Julia, in terms of emotional development, this is such an important topic. Why do you think it is such an important topic? Oh, my goodness. I feel like if we really think about it and check in with ourselves, emotions are everywhere, every minute of the day. Maybe we're not as aware of the emotions that we do have, but we do have them. And so emotions play a very significant role and they follow us around. Sometimes we follow our own emotions, however we look at that. And without understanding really what emotions are doing for us and what we do with them, I feel like we're missing out on critical tools. So even if we're talking about children and I work with children, I always talk about the adult's emotional presence when they approach children. Well, they're so closely linked, aren't they? It's hard to kind of look at them as as Mm -hmm. two separate entities, isn't it? Absolutely. So if we had to break down just to get clarity and understanding on this basic question, how do you define an emotion? How do we define an emotion? Okay, well, there are complex ways of looking at that and then more easily accessible way, I guess. And I find that, you know, complexities abound everywhere. So if we can simplify things, I think it's maybe more useful on a day-to-day basis. Emotion is a sense we are getting of some feeling that's coming up for us as usually as a reaction to something that's happening. And there are so many categories and so many actual labels for different emotions we might have. I would use loosely emotion and feeling as interchangeable here, although there are some distinctions. It's just not going to take us down a rabbit hole. Yes. But there is many emotions we can experience, right? There are lists and lists. We could go just bouncing off like you take a turn, I take a turn. We'll probably come up with a hundred. But yes. the core, the four core that I would love for parents to really understand are anger, fear, sadness, and happiness. And happiness, again, loosely used to signify any positive emotion because everything will be kind of in the continuum of one of these four. So it's really important to kind of identify in which category the emotion or the feeling belongs. And from there, the work is easier. If we misunderstand fear for anger or anger for sadness, or we don't understand if the child is startled and surprised and maybe a little bit anxious and take it as they're excited and we misinterpret that as a positive feeling, of course, we're going to be in trouble, right? Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's what be for me would be a starting point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you, because I think sometimes these words that we kind of use, emotion or he's emotional, she's emotional, or she's, you know, just having a bit of an emotional Mm. meltdown. Sometimes these kind of things get thrown around, but then I don't know that too many people will stop and actually go, what am I actually referring to? What is this word encompassing? And that's why I like to, you know, be a speech and language pathologist. I do like to get into the words a little and go a bit to the root of that. So thank you mm-hmm. for going into that kind of the definition of all that simple way of explaining what an emotion mm-hmm. is. And yes, there's a gazillion of them. So when and I think too, just to piggyback on what you were saying, when we say things like that, she or he is emotional or look at that emotionalness, right? Usually we are referring 
to something that's to do with emotional regulation and somebody's difficulty in regulating their emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So we are seeing usually some kind of end point of an escalation of an emotion. And we sort of see that and react to that negatively, right? By having this connotation, negative connotation about somebody being emotional. But in truth, we're all emotional beings on a daily basis. Right now, you have emotions and I have emotions, but they are on the continuum pretty mild and we are regulating pretty well, right? So right now, I'm so excited to be talking with you, Sonia. I could be jumping out of my seat and bouncing off the floor. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yay! But I know, (laughs) yes, to regulate that, right? So I do want us to kind of acknowledge and appreciate everybody has emotions. There is just spectrum of how well someone regulates it. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that more a little bit later. So if we can now talk about emotional development. So here we're kind of going into the sequence, I guess, of how emotions or emotional development occurs. Can we start, Julia, maybe looking at, say, kids from birth to five years, if that's an easy enough kind of age group cluster to start with? Can you tell us a bit about the sequence of emotional development in that age category and then perhaps, you know, that school age category? Mm -hmm. So here's one more thing where I love to simplify things as much as possible. There's so many checklists out there that would tell you by such and such age and stage, kids should be able to do X, Y, and Z. And we could definitely go into a checklist like this, potentially even provide some tangible downloadable resource or something like that. But before we go there, what I really want for us to get a bigger picture of is what emotional development is all about. How about we start there? Lovely. Before we say, what are the stages? Let's do it. Yeah? Okay. (laughs) Because it goes into this whole idea of why do we even need emotions, right? Especially if some of us react negatively to having an emotion. It's an important question. So Mm -hmm. I feel like addressing the purpose of having emotions, it's kind of important. And then we can understand how that develops. Yeah. Okay. So let's see if I can put it succinctly, make it really simple. Emotions are needed so we can understand. And this, when I say we, I'm referring to a little child all the way to an adult. So whoever is the person experiencing an emotion, that emotion is there for them to know a need that they have, we have, what's the need we have in the moment, and figuring out how is the best way to meet that need. When we talk about emotional development, a lot of the times we tie social components of that in there as well. And the reason for that is because a lot of the times our needs are met in the group or with the help of somebody else. So, you know, when we think about needing to have appropriate emotional development, really what we're talking about is our development, I guess, our ability to understand what is it I'm feeling? Why am I feeling that? What am I supposed to do with this? Yes. So there in a nutshell is what you need to be able to do, right? Yep, yep. So it's kind of looking entwined in that is really a high level of self-awareness, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, that level of awareness is a gradual process, right? We have children who are, to an extent, becoming aware. Then it gets more and more sophisticated. Then still we have adults who are not as aware, as self-aware right? Yep. But the bottom line of all of this, it's still 
understanding the purpose of that, right? Is understanding ourselves and the others. So understanding ourselves part, that's the emotional aspect of it. And understanding others is more the social aspect of that, social emotional development. Yes. And that shifts throughout life, continues to develop throughout life, you know. But that's the idea behind the emotional development. Yep, perfect. Sounds good. Sounds good. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so if we think about, okay, how do we get to the place of understanding what someone is feeling? Why? And what to do with that? Where do we even start when someone is one month old, right? <laughs> yep, yep. And it can be really basic as the moment that every parent is looking forward to when the baby turns about one month old and they start to smile, right? You see that first indication of what we call social smile, right? Yes. When they acknowledge somebody else looking at them. Yes. So there is biological markers in the emotional development, such as being able to express physically in our faces certain expressions, right? Sort of muscles need to move a certain way in order to communicate an emotion because there is a social component. Someone else will read our emotions and see how we feel and try to relate to us. The same needs to happen for that baby that later grows on and needs to be able to read somebody else's facial expressions and all the other nonverbal cues, right? So, it, I mean, it starts from small, and you too, Sonia, jump in and add to that. But I feel like it starts from that small, tiny steps, such as being able to relate, react to somebody taking care of you, as helpless as the baby may be, taking care of you as a baby, being able to acknowledge someone's presence. And it's kind of dynamic that goes on between the baby and the caretaker that evolves from being in each other's presence, acknowledging that presence, and then making that other person important. And that happens on both hands, right? For an adult, that baby is important. Absolutely. And for the baby, the adult is important. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's why so many times we don't distinguish the social from emotional kind of because there's that component. So and I was going to say, and if we take it right back to just birth, and this is, again, the communication mm -hmm. expertise coming through here, that communication of emotion or basic need, you know, is right there. Day that they're born, they're usually crying. That's their communication or their expression for a need of something. And so we're seeing that communication occurring at birth, and as you beautifully articulated earlier, then you've got that connection, that eye contact, that face-to-face -face interaction that happens almost immediately when a baby is born. Mm -hmm. And that's your beginning right there, isn't it, Julia, where you've got that face-to-face -face and Absolutely. that connection mm -hmm. going on there. And then you're right, and then it kind of builds from there as some parents will start to learn very quickly the sounds of the different cries and what that's communicating and, you know, kind of looking at it. And I'm now I'm talking a little bit about communication, but that it does link into that emotional development and what they learn from mm -hmm. looking at each other and that human, just that human connection, that human visual contact and touch, etc. All those very biological, basic initial needs and not just initial, they're kind of ongoing, but, you know, they, they happen right from the start. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I guess, right. yeah, I just kind of add that 
to some of what you've said to kind of couple in with that because so many wonderful connections are happening, you know, right from the moment that birth does occur. So I kind of add that in there, but continue on, Julia, continue on. If we're going to, and and I know you're not checklist light, but (laughs) sorry, continue. Uh But I do want to echo what you were saying because Sometimes we have this impression that communication is words or when we can look each other in the eye and really know that there is a response back and all of that going on. But you're so right about communication being almost all about nonverbals, right? The type of cry, how the baby is even just positioning the body, is the tense, is it, you know, where are the limbs? And we're talking about really small ones. But why we're talking about the stage is to really highlight the fact that it starts day one yes just really simple needs are there from day one so they will be communicated in whatever way the baby can so exactly i just want to echo that point communication is there mostly not verbal and then it develops from there and it's all about communicating the needs right because even when we talk about something with our friends you know we're just having a social conversation that too meets a need of ours to have a social interaction so communication really is serving that purpose of meeting a need and the emotions of the ones that are telling us what kind of needs we have yeah what's the best way to meet them that's right and you're right and you kind of group it as non-verbal and that's exactly what it is and as we know we communicate a lot more non-verbally than what we do verbally and so that's a really important part to highlight within this discussion Mm -hmm. is that before Mm -hmm. children do speak their first words, we're often looking at all the other signals that they're giving us to understand their emotions, to understand their needs, to understand Mm -hmm. their wants. So they are very closely linked in that way. So how do things change? And we talked about self-awareness. And look, it's going to be different for everyone, obviously, but that's a big part of emotional development, I guess. From your experience, Julia, when a child, typically they start their first words around one year of age, between 12 to 18 months, and then they gradually build from there. So I guess in terms of being able to verbalize their own emotions or have that ability to understand because it is a bit of a high level skill to be able to understand and read other emotions Mm -hmm. that happens at quite a basic level you know often kids will start with happy sad you know and parents will often describe things as happy sad as well they're kind of the two Mm -hmm. I would say the two first ones that I've often have come across tell me more about you know when you've worked with kids what's happening at that stage kind of when they're around the one year two year mark when they've got a few words what is happening with emotional development Mm -hmm. at that stage is it that simple Mm -hmm. and basic that we're just describing those two I know there's a lot more going on but tell me about your experiences Mm -hmm. yeah so normal development continues to progress and it's all about developing that self-awareness okay what do I need and when the child is you know even six or nine months they can intentionally cry in a specific way so even there they're aware what it is they need whereas initially it may be more instinctual now they can indicate that they are sad that someone is leaving their space, right? They want the caretaker back with them. 
or they cry differently when they're fussy and tired or not they're hungry. So even though the words come later, the emotional development and the communication of needs continues from day one, right? And so when children can communicate their emotions or verbally, right? Because nonverbal continues throughout. But when we get to the point they can communicate verbally, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm mad. A lot of it depends on what has been modeled to them and how the parents or the caregivers have been responding to them and whether their response included the word. Oh, oh, I see you're crying. The voice too far, you are upset, right? So they're telling them some of the words. And at this stage, it's fine to be very basic and say, oh, you're so happy like this or look at you you got mad or you're sad or that you look scared that scared you so it's like fear right all those basic four emotions if they're being modeled back to the child and being acknowledged and articulated we're going to see more of that with children who do talk um but if like you said if the child only has happy and sad that is a good starting point regardless because they definitely feel more than they're able to articulate. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I know some of what you've just mentioned there we'll probably talk about more in part two when we're looking at, you know, kind of strengthening emotional well-being and we'll go into the language around or building emotional Mm -hmm. vocabulary because that's so important for many, many reasons. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you touch on that important association that when a child is feeling a certain way or expressing a certain emotion, if whoever is with them, the educator, the parent, mm-hmm. carer, can reflect back, hopefully with accuracy, using a word that matches that emotion, then that's already that connection made. So the child's going, when I'm physiologically feeling this, I hear this label attached to it. And that's the very beginning of mm-hmm. that connection being made. So, How about when kids kind of grow into school age years? Is there a particular point that you are aware of, Julia, where you kind of see a real shift, whether it be, you know, cognitively in the typical development sequence? Do you see kind of a period of that those childhood years where you see a real shift in their cognitive ability to, I guess, launch into their self-awareness and their emotional development a little more maturely? Mm -hmm. What have you found? Yeah. Yeah. So this is where I'm finding the biggest continuum of abilities when children enter school or any type of school type of environment where it's organized, lots of kids around. This is where we'll see very diverse presentation. Uh, By that point, children already have had a few years with their own parents and caretakers, right? So they have learned a few things. They've learned some basic of how the dynamics work when I feel this, what happens? And those dynamics may be or may not be the same in their new social environment. So that's where we will see right away kind of children are, I don't want to say all over the place, but they kind of are. They enter from different standpoints. And so with someone who is developing naturally, I know that parents, a lot of the times they come to me and ask, is this okay? My child never used to cry. Now they're crying all the time. My child used to play nicely with their siblings, but they don't play with their peers at school. All of that is normal when something huge and big like this transition happens. 
it's the ability of the child to adapt to that and find the new normal, their own baseline of responding that will indicate to us whether there is a challenge or not. But every child will react to something like this in some way. And some will react more strongly because, again, children are on the continuum of how they present at that point. Yes. But having said that, what we do see, if we think about, you know, what is self-awareness about? Hopefully, by the time they enter school, they know that they are okay because of how the communication and the meeting of their needs has happened up to that point. Hopefully, they know that they are okay. So they have basic self-esteem. I matter. I'm okay. I have needs and my needs are okay. And I also have emotions that let me know about my needs and my emotions are okay as well. So hopefully, they have those three components and now can kind of feel their way out in the new world of all these other people who are also okay, who also have needs that are okay, and who also have emotions, whose emotions are okay. Now what do we do, right? It's a massive, like a school, it's just a massive navigation, isn't it, for them to, it's almost like trial Mm -hmm. and error, learning about others and others that come from all different types of, you know, backgrounds and experiences to themselves. It's quite a steep learning curve isn't it for kids once they enter that schooling environment Mm -hmm. absolutely and so what else plays into that is you know the whole notion that the caregiver is a new person who is not as available as their previous set of either parents or caregivers was right there's only one person one adult to respond to so many children yes so that's another layer to that (laughs) navigating that yeah yeah, yeah, that's a good point actually that I hadn't considered. That would be a really tricky thing for kids to experience, wouldn't it? Because they'd be coming from that real nurtured, hopefully, you know, in as many home situations as possible, you'd want them to come mm. from a nurtured environment. And then potentially in a school setting, there's less of that attention and immediate response to their needs. Hey, that has its pros and cons, Julia, I guess. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that kind of launch yes. them into resilience training? <laughs> well, right, because you still have to experience that and walk away every day from that experience knowing that still you are okay and still your needs are okay and your emotions are okay, even if they were not attended to. You've communicated as much as you could, but you might have not given, received what you needed, right? So, yes. Yeah. And this is where that hopefully children had some experience with building resiliency and not always getting what they wanted, that this is not new to them. And, you know, new layer, obviously, bigger social arena, but hopefully not the first time that they heard, you have to wait for a minute. I'm sorry, not right now. Or, you know, Tommy or Jane is ahead of you. <laughs> yep. So absolutely taking turns, right. wait your turn, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. So what are some, a couple, and there could be many reasons here, but what would be a couple of reasons that a child might not follow kind of that sequence of emotional development, Julia? What can that impact or influence? Yeah, so there could be so many factors, but again, just to simplify it, it could be developmentally, the child's biology, basically something in their development, neurons, brain, something did not align at the right stages. And maybe the child was prematurely born. You will see naturally some delays. It could be that, right? It could also be social stressors and dynamic inside the family. 
it could be bigger factors like something like traumatic happening in the country. So even though, you know, the parents are loving and tender and attending, but there might be some bigger devastation happening and everyone is under stress. So that will have an impact. But yes. the important thing I do want to mention is a lot of the times, even when we have delays that we see in the child's ability to know they're okay, their needs are okay, and they can be met, understanding their emotions, there's still things we can teach them. It will take a little bit more effort and needs to be guided by an adult rather than naturally happening for the child. But it's not like if the child is behind in some way that this is a dead end. It very rarely is. We would have to have serious psychological issues, inability to recognize other people as important as themselves, to not grow emotionally. And I think you mentioned a really important point is that support is there and you do a lot of work in the area to support emotional development and, and emotional regulation, which we'll touch on in a moment. You know, speech pathologists, again, are, are a mm -hmm. massive example yes. of professionals who work directly with children on emotional development from a bit of a different angle. And, mm -hmm. and often it is children that you know, might present with developmental difficulties and other conditions, I guess, that don't allow them mm -hmm. the same sequence of even communication development or other milestones. And so it all requires that explicit teaching or support to allow them to develop some of those skills or some of the emotional regulation or some of that self-awareness. Just that team support kind of comes from allied health professionals and educators and parents working together to support that child. The areas that they're not I guess, don't have those strengths in. And I'm no doubt, Julie, you've worked with a number of families in that situation, as I have as well, where it's, yes. there is a lot of opportunity there to help children to build their skills, not just to tick boxes, not at all. So it's not to tick a checklist, but it's more for that individual. What do they actually need to function successfully in their day-to-day? -day? And this is what we term as life skills. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that brings us to very much to emotional regulation because it is a life skill, isn't it? And as you mentioned before, I feel like emotional regulation is something that we can talk about. Obviously, it's a chat about children podcast, so we'll talk about it in the reference of children and parents. But I think we've got to be mindful that it's something that is very much evolving for a lot of people generally. So I just wanted to make that point. Is that something that you wanted to expand on, Julia? I think it's landing nicely to the beginning of the conversation where we were saying that, yes, children need to develop emotionally and need to understand their emotions, but the same happens for adults. And even for adults who are pretty well-regulated and well-functioning, when we're met with challenges or new things we want to either grow in areas or just facing challenges of life, we might be confronted with something that rattles us emotionally. So we will have to then try to understand how we respond to something new and how do we regulate there. And so there's a lot of room to learn, even for ourselves as adults. Okay, what's happening here? I'm usually pretty balanced. What's happening for me right now, right? So it's a process for everyone, which I hope makes it less stigmatizing if we just talk about this more generally as well. You know, regulation yeah, is a process. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So, Julia, if you had to just give a simple definition of what is emotional regulation, you probably touched on it a bit earlier, but what's the, the mm -hmm. simple definition for emotional regulation? 
Yeah, it's the ability, again, to understand, first of all, what is it I'm feeling, and then be able to respond to that need because the emotion always comes from some sort of need. So if we're able to notice and contain it, because we are aware, we're able to hold it by being aware. If we're not aware, then emotion escalates, tends to get as loud as it needs to get in order for us to wake up to it. And sometimes what happens is other people around us notice it before we do, right? Yep. If we're an adult, we may feel embarrassed, you know, depending on the environment or really be held and supported. But that's the point of regulation. If the emotion is not heard, is not attended to, it will escalate in some way for us to be able to address the need that's underneath that emotion. So hopefully regulation to me, you know, it's like if I were to say just one sentence about it, it's our ability to notice and catch it and respond to it before other people do. It's a very private process. Yes, yes. Definitely. And it's really an ability to kind of step aside and not get caught up in all the all the emotion, if you like. Mm-hmm. Step to the side and observe it, which is a skill in itself and it needs a lot of practice in itself. So I wonder if I talk about emotional regulation as a skill, because it does take a bit of practice in some ways. How is it learnt by children? Is it learnt by modeling how they see their parents and carers emotionally regulating? combined with what how they see peers emotionally regulating what do you see in all your work where does kind of the foundation skill for children kind of stem from yeah yeah great question and we can talk about this forever because there's so many nuances to this right yeah but the very basic level regulation is all about i'm okay right so before we even know what we're feeling there is a caretaker that tells us, don't worry, I'm taking care of you, right? It's when the caretaker is missing the mark, then it becomes important to know what is it that I, as a tiny human, am feeling. So I don't look sad. I actually look pretty mad. <laughs> so I'm sending yes. a different message, right? Yep. So if we go back to kind of regulation, as a human being, we need to be able to communicate the right emotion. And we're practicing communicating that by seeing how other people respond to us. We're practicing the intensity by seeing how other people respond to us. And if the response is appropriate, great. Our emotions and our communication of that is working. If the response is not appropriate, something is breaking down there. And in that moment, because the child cannot meet their needs yet, their emotion will keep escalating. And if, again, the caretaker and the child do not have a supportive dynamic, the caretaker may withdraw when they see the escalation of emotion, right? Or may get scared. Oh my gosh, my child has a tantrum. What do I do? And so it's a balance at that beginning stages. It's a balance of the adult regulating themselves so that they're able to respond to the child who may not yet be able to regulate. They're all trying it out, right? So when the adult is able to regulate themselves, then they can create the space for the child to regulate themselves. Yes. And that happens through this process that I call just creating space and holding, holding the child's emotions for them. It's okay. I'm seeing this. This is fear. or This is sadness. or this is whatever. You got too excited. That happens too, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, and holding that space for them, making it okay 
So I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this, this is what I'm reading off of you. I'm okay with you feeling that. Let's see what we need to do about it, right? So yeah. when adult is fine with whatever the child is feeling, the child will be fine with that as well. And the Important. adult will guide them through that, yeah, through that holding of their emotions of the whole cycle through, you're okay, I hear your needs, your emotions are okay, now let's see what we can do about it. When adults can do that multiple times over and over and over, the child learns, again, I'm okay, my emotions are okay, my needs are okay, everything is fine. And that's the basis of regulation, really. They need to yes. feel like everything is okay and it will work out. Yeah, it's kind of going back to that basic need for safety, isn't it? I'm feeling safe, I'm feeling okay. Mm -hmm. And that, oh gosh, adult yes, response, yeah. I'm sure there are listeners out there going, this sounds lovely, like, and it's ideal. And sometimes it works like that, Julia, I've got to say. Like it doesn't work and it takes practice, as I said before. <laughs> you know, responses and it, it takes practice mm -hmm. to just step back and not be reactive but just have a bit of space to be responsive. And, you know, like in, it happens and it gets easier, I've got to say, with practice. But I know a lot of listeners are also mm -hmm. just going, well, you know, that doesn't always happen and you might, you would come across this a lot. And then you get a lot of parent guilt going on. Oh, you know, I oh, snap yes. back or I shout or I did this and then the guilt just takes over, mm -hmm. which is not, you know, I guess mm -hmm. now moving into a slightly different direction here, Julia, but I just want to acknowledge that for parents, it's also okay mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to not oh, be yeah. so hard on yourself. Yes, well, exactly. So this exactly. is the ideal response, exactly. you know. But let's also have some balance in how we view ourselves too because that also just shows our kids that, you know, we're human, we experience emotions, and we're not perfectly regulating them all the time. Is that fair to say, Julia? Right. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you are pausing here to just acknowledge that, right? It's kind of how I was saying earlier. If the, so the guilt would be coming from the place either I'm not okay or my needs were not okay in that moment, or my emotions, you know, anger maybe, or just fear of how the child is acting, my emotions were not okay. Either one of those three that we're talking about applying yeah. to children apply to adults as well, right? So if we are withdrawing or feeling later guilt, it's because one of those three is not being acknowledged. And we're learning too, right? If we're noticing that we can't regulate the child, it's because we're struggling with that as well. Acknowledge that. We said it's not a once and done process. By the time you're out of high school, you should be well regulated. No, it's an ongoing process. And parenting is actually, speaking of challenges, a very important challenge developmentally for an adult, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an ongoing. So we need to hold. Curve. Yeah, hold that space for ourselves when we're noticing any type of guilt or resentment coming up, right? So resentment actually directly points to the needs. We're resenting the fact that we needed something in that space and we were not able to give to ourselves. Anger also comes from that place. Shame comes from I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and guilt, it's how I responded. My emotional reaction was not okay, right? And all of these, we have to process that level of awareness that we have of ourselves in that moment, process it later and acknowledge. A lot of acknowledging to do for our own selves. You know, I think I'm feeling right now like what, you know, 
that I'm not okay or what my needs were not okay or my emotions were not okay. Which one of those is it and how can I help myself? to validate all those things for myself. Yes, I am okay. What's the proof of that, that I am okay? My needs are okay to have. Well, what's the proof of that? I'm a human being and I will have needs, right? My yes. emotions are okay, same thing, same thing. Raising a child is hard and I'm going to have emotions. Sometimes I need help and I'll get it. Sometimes I need time and I'm learning and I will do that too, right? Totally, totally. Now I'm gonna just go back a little, Julia. And this is just to touch on, you'd mentioned before, my child is having a tantrum, don't know how to respond or, you know, there's for a lot of parents and, you know, again, I chat to a lot of parents and I'm thinking of one in particular some weeks back where she was a little bit confused at, I guess, the sudden regular tantruming that was going on for her child who was about, you know, three years old. Now, this is very general info, Julia, but if you have a parent who kind of says, what do I do? How do I respond to a tantrum? Are there a few like mm-hmm. very general tips that you can share with our listeners about how to respond? So yes and no. <laughs> so yes, in a sense that we have a very simple framework no is because that simple framework may need to be applied to very complex situations for which we may not have enough information. But hopefully you can start from the simplicity, use that and understand what might you be able to do when the child is tantruming. So if we go back to what we have discussed so far and we think about that question, what do I do when the child is reacting this way? First of all, we want to make sure we're ready We're showing up fully regulated ourselves. We're not scared. We're not angry. We're not sad. Our child is not always going to be in the state. We don't need to feel hopeless about that. It is a challenge. And it is a challenge so much for them as it is for us as well, right? Mm -hmm. For a tantrum to occur, what that tells me is the emotion has escalated. And for children, that can happen very quickly. It's not as gradual as it might be for an adult. So for the child, it's a point of complete escalation, right? There is an emotion that indicated some need. The need was not met in the moment. And so now there is that escalation that we are seeing. So it's at that point where you have this level of escalation. It's hard to get to the bottom of what the need is Mm because you kind of need to do some checking what is happening. You know, is it a one-off? tantrum and you can kind of scan your environment what happened just now who else what else was happening around the child or is it more kind of a pattern that's developing well we need to do a little bit different type of checking right is the child recently being you know exposed to some level stress or something that might be traumatizing to them or something has changed in their environment or routine. There's so many things. That's where I'm saying it can be very complex to try to solve it without having information. Oh, of course. But, but the principles are the same. Yeah. Mm. The principles are the same, right? So first of all, I am okay myself as an adult. As I respond to the child, first priority is to help them calm down, literally just regulate that emotion by holding space for them. I see a lot of parents wanting the tantrum to end. And so either they scold the child or very, you know, from a good place, trying to get to the bottom of it. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Well, they cannot at that point express to us what's going on. 
Some parents I've seen try to also have the child express what emotion it is. That is kind of useless. The child is totally having a meltdown at that point. So I think step one is really getting to a place where the child can calm down, whether they respond to touch or just giving them space, being around them, speaking to them with soothing voice, very few words, um, and just, you know, your child, see what the child responds to. And once they can hear us and they kind of slow down, our message to them should be, you are okay. We don't want to know why they were tantruming. We don't want to tell them it was not okay to tantrum. Message one is you are okay. And then the next step is let's try and figure out what they need. At that point, we don't need to tell them you were angry, you had a tantrum. Nope, we're past that point. That is useful when they're not escalating yet. Yeah. Uh, and the emotion is just showing up. So when, once they're calmed down, I don't know if that parent in particular would have questions about what to do then, but that's when you engage and try to kind of problem solve together, given the development of the child and how much they can share. But there's nothing really to do in the escalation phase other than keeping the child safe, both physically and emotionally, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Julia, you summarized that beautifully. And I know within that, that was very valuable information for a lot of the listeners. So thank you. There were some Mm. really valuable tips and strategies within that. That was excellent. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. So Julia, I'm mindful that we've had a a wonderful conversation so far, really Mm -hmm. providing an introduction to, and even beyond an introduction to emotional development. And we've, you know, touched on emotional regulation and that leads us into very much into our part two, which is going to be about strengthening emotional well-being in kids. And just looking at those super practical ways that listeners can, I guess, adopt strategies and ways to implement very easily and quickly some little, I guess, tips and tricks, I like to call them, to just start adding that strength work to kids developing emotional well-being and that resilience with their emotions. So do you have any messages, take-home messages about what we've talked about so far to our listeners? Because I'm keen to, you know, get into part two, but I do want to wrap up with any messages you might have to share with our listeners as we conclude part one. Yeah, there's so much we can say. I think (laughs) take your time is what I would say. Number one is I want to acknowledge for the parents that it's a process, right? A lot of the times this might be having a child might be the first experience ever that we are beginning to feel emotions we've never felt before. So creating that space for ourselves and doing the work we need to do to continue growing emotionally is important so that we can support the child's emotional development. And again, the three important steps or pillars to that development is you're okay. So I'm talking to you as a parent. You are okay. Your needs as a parent are okay. And your emotions are okay. Do the work you need to do to really feel that and acknowledge that for yourself. Wonderful. Wonderful, Julia. Thank you so much for all your expertise and your warmth and your valuable strategies and information today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining the Chat About Children. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
A wonderful chat there with Julia Pappas. She really did give a wonderful introduction to emotional development. And you can certainly learn more about her work at www.juliapappas.co. And she has also recently launched a podcast, and she's going to be telling us a little bit more about that in part two. So make sure you join us in part two, where we are focusing on strengthening emotional well-being. Now, if you have enjoyed today's episode, please do share with family, friends and with colleagues and also remember to leave a rating and a review. I thank you so much for your attention. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com.